well. Thank you so much for sitting down with me, Damien. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be doing an interview for the LA uh, Review of Books. Oh, thank you. Uh, I wanted to know, how did you initially get involved with the Abyssinian Mass? Well, initially, uh, Winston Marcellus called me over to his, uh, his apartment and asked me to come over and look at some of the vocal lines mm. and some of the uh, voice leading and see what I thought about it. Uh, and also listen to some of the harmonies since I'm especially uh, experienced in music from uh, my own background being in the church and gospel music as a whole. So was that when, during the writing process? You that entered? was actually about three to five weeks before the uh, world premiere in 2008. And after uh, sitting there at the piano with him, I actually started singing all the parts, uh, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, and uh, Winton was surprised, and he said, well, actually, could you go to the <laughs> rehearsal uh, the next evening? And I went to the rehearsal the next evening, and the rehearsal went extremely well, and then Winton asked me to conduct the actual mass. And, and what do you think of, how would you describe the piece? It's such a inter, inter, interdisciplinary, I mean, crossing styles, crossing cultural it's, references. It's a major work. I think it will take years, really, to see all that's in it. Uh, Every time I perform it, every time I'm able to conduct it, I find more nuggets uh, inside of it. Uh, there are so many uh, amazingly woven compositional uh, techniques and hidden, I guess from the regular listener, things that are hidden in the compositional structure. For example, in the recessional, uh, the way the words, the lyrics that uh, Marcellus wrote the libretto himself, the way they uh, are allegorical and figurative, in the roll call, uh, in recessional, but yet at the same time, uh, he not only put it under uh, just you know random chords, but he set those lyrics, he set the words in the roll call to uh, the music of Jobim's um, "Waters of March." Waters of March, and the lyrics of that particular song, you mm -hmm. know, deal with uh, different things you may see in life every day as well as setting it to Scott Joplin's, uh, one of the final uh, movements or pieces of the opera treatment issued by Scott Joplin, Marching Onward, right. uh, Real Slow Drag. So that's really, really amazing. And then, uh, <laughs> again, within the recessional, the uh, instruments sound like a train. You hear the train starting, running, and you hear the train stopping. And then on top of that, the vocalists are singing uh, chords that sound like a train whistle. Yeah. But then at the end of recessional, in that movement, the uh, vocalists actually make sounds like a train with ch and choo-choo. So mm -hmm. just that, just speaking of that movement alone, describes all of the wonderful uh, compositional elements that are in the Mass, and then the storyline that's in the Mass, uh, the message in the Mass, that everyone has a place. There's there's so much, uh, even just to look at one, one movement. I definitely think someone could really uh, take the time and do a dissertation on the Abyssinian Mass. <laughs> and since you're... You're, you were my conductor and I was your singer. I remember just performing recessional so many times. It's a fun, as a living, that movement is a fun movement for that same reason. The rhythm is a bit challenging and you and we have to be so connected as singers and, and conductor. That was always a, a fun aspect of performing the piece too. Uh, speaking of the performance life, what, what was the experience for you premiering this work in London with so many international singers, some of whom are totally outside of the American uh, black church context. This piece was inspired by the black church service. How was it um, bringing that together, that, that new community 
in London for the premiere. It was wonderful to do that in London during the, uh, the time of the opening of the Olympics and, of course, at the uh, Barbican Theatre, which is an amazing hall with wonderful sound, very mm. beautiful mm. Uh, architecturally uh, sound. Uh, but I have to say that was a bit of a challenge <laughs> because it's one thing to work with singers from America that may have not firsthand experienced the struggle uh, mm. that gospel music was brought uh, birthed out of the blues mm. and uh, the Great Depression and slavery and uh, uh, racial disparity, but explaining that to another group of people, mm-hmm. not just different culturally, but from a completely different walk of life, mm-hmm. uh, that was definitely a challenge because uh, I had to give explanation because without the explanation and a clear understanding, the sound could not be produced. Mm. That so was required. It needs to come out of that emotion, emotional experience and understanding. Most definitely. It's interesting because I think as the the conductor that that you have that crucial role because even though Winton is the composer, you deal with us as singers first, and you're the first, uh, the first, uh, like conduit of the piece. You're the first pr- person who presents it to us, and so, okay, that that's very interesting. And how do you think that they handled the what you were trying to convey as far as the cultural and historical significance of this piece? They were and very the innovation open, too. very open and interested in the story and behind it, and they really, really intently wanted to uh, wanted to not just understand it, but they wanted to perform it from a place of integrity, mm. which was really. Uh, uh, something that that was that was wonderful for me to see someone from another part of the world want to understand the history of my my culture and my people and my people even as Americans to have an understanding of what what it is we sing about and what gives us the sound. Mm. And I think also Winton talked so much during our process about how these experiences struggle and um, overcoming struggles. Are, are universal human experiences that other minority groups have, you know, can identify with in, in other countries. So I'm sure that that probably lent, lent to it, too. Um, and could you talk a little bit about your collaboration with Winton? The, the, and just, I guess, your most important influences. I, I count, I'm sure you would count one, he, he among other people who have influenced your music making, your conducting. Well, yeah, that, uh, that, that was a, a, a life-changing experience and something that many people never get a chance to actually uh, realize in their lifetime when you look up to a person and consider them to be a mentor. And not only do you get to meet that person, people can mentor you from afar, but you get a chance to meet the person. uh, And on top of that, you also get a chance to receive impartation from them one-on-one in person. Mm -hmm. But then with Winton, I was able to actually also perform with him on the same stage. And then further uh, uh, than that, furthermore, I was able... It was very difficult at times to conduct Winter Marsalis. <laughs> I mean, I'm conducting right. my mentor who right. wrote this piece and composed it, so of course he knows everything, so that, that was a lot <laughs> uh, within itself. Uh, but there are other mi- people that have uh, that have contributed from afar and also in person uh, with my musical development. People like, uh, in gospel music, Twinkie Clark of the Clark Sisters, Richard Smallwood, uh, in classical music, uh, Jesse Norman. Uh, and these are all people that uh, I can still pick up the phone and, and call or reach out to now, which is a wonderful blessing uh, to be able to speak to them one-on-one and be able to uh, get wisdom uh, and ask questions when I 
go through experiences that I'm sure they've already experienced, they've already been through. One of the richest and most beautiful parts of being on tour with you for an extended period of time is I got to know you not only as a colleague, but personally, and we got to go to Augusta, and I, I learned a little bit about, um, I was first exposed to the story of your family and how music came in through your parents, um, and they imparted that to you, and just to, to see your community, what was the feeling for you of of performing this in, in we, we performed in so many communities, but in your, your home community of Augusta, what was that like? That was surreal. Uh, I still haven't quite grappled or grasped all of what that was <laughs> to be able to stand in the same church. Last time I was there, my, my uh, cousin, who's like a sister to me, was buried there. Her funeral mm. was there, so... That, it's funny we had to extend the stage uh, just because to accommodate the choir and the orchestra and where they extended the stage where I was standing to conduct the entire night was right over the area where her casket lied oh, so that was that was running through my head uh, her mother who's my aunt uh, was also out in the audience and I tried not to look at her when I walked out because I didn't want to become uh, overcome with emotions but she did. we did catch each other's eyes that was a tear jerking moment but I tried to suppress it Having my mother out there was amazing. Uh, my mother uh, has dementia and, and Alzheimer's, you know, but they said that she did respond mm. to the music and uh, saw me and called my name and was clapping. And to see my first gospel piano teacher out there and to see my first, uh, first gospel, I'm sorry, first jazz piano teacher <laughs> with me as well, that was just totally amazing. Also getting an opportunity to look out there and see my neighbors, my godparents, and just to see all these people uh, that that helped me start into this industry of music and into my career and to have them all there, to see my pastor there, the people that grew up with me, it was just totally amazing. I am. Uh, I have the privilege of interviewing you here at the Frank Sinatra School where you work. You are not only a composer, a conductor, a performer, an exquisite singer, if I do say so, but you're also an educator. And how does that factor into, you think, the legacy of, of the Abyssinian Mass? You did a lot of outreach, didn't you? Well, this is actually outreach. This is not a school that I work at. This is one of the uh, six performing arts schools within New York City that are working with Carnegie Hall's Vile Institutes uh, uh -huh. with their education department. And we're going to be performing Duke Ellington's Sacred Concerts, which so is amazing because it's similar to the Abyssinian Mass. This is Duke Ellington's take on... Uh, on uh, on spiritual music, and it's, it's just amazing because uh, they're going to be accompanied by the Jazz and Lincoln Center Youth Orchestra, mm. which is totally amazing. So it's like a mirroring project, and I'm just very excited to be here. There are 200 young people from all over New York City and New Jersey and, and everywhere, and it's just amazing uh, to be able to work on this uh, on this program, and I, and I was recommended by Jazz and Lincoln Center Winter Marcells for this as well. So integrating the voice and the jazz orchestra, the sacred music form, and... Uh, the American musical tradition, again, in the African-American context and beyond. And what do you think is the future of the Abyssinian Mass? How do you see it? After our amazing tour, what, where do you see? I believe it's going to become a major staple in, in the f thread and fabric of music and music history, uh, the same way that the Verdi Requiem is known, the Mozart Requiem, uh, the Bach, uh, Bach Mass, or any other large work, uh, 
you know, it's, 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 it's really major, and I'm looking forward to more works that Winston is doing because he's now working on an opera, so that's going to be very exciting. That's very interesting and, and uh, very, very inspiring. Thank you so much for inviting me to your rehearsal, and I can't wait to see what you do right now. Thank you. Thanks, Damien. Awesome.